my job at the muffler shop it was too exhausting i'm christian <laughs> and that's chris and welcome to a bonus episode of the dad joke loading podcast as you guys know chris and i are uh heavy into sports and there has been a very active period of time in the sports world recently uh most importantly the nhl free agency period as well as the mlb trade deadline and so we couldn't let the week go by without talking about those um so chris why don't we start with the nhl what are your kind of initial thoughts on the free agency free agency period yeah, well, I mean, you've hit the nail on the head, Christian. I mean, we always talk about summer as being kind of a quiet time for sports. You know, NFL's off, NHL's off, NBA is off, college sports are largely off. Um, of course, uh, baseball and <clears throat> North American soccer are on, but it's often thought of as a quiet time, except when you are deeply nerding out in contracts and trade deadlines and free agency. So um, I think we've mentioned it in a previous episode, but free agency, hockey free agency is traditionally always on Canada Day, a little bit different this year um, uh, because of COVID. So for me, it's always been one of my favorite days of the entire year. I know that sounds absolutely silly, but it really is. It just, I've always associated it with the end of school, you know, cause it's usually mm. Canada day, like traditionally when you are, you know, high school in Canada ends kind of last couple of weeks of June. So this is like right at that moment where you're throwing out all your notes for the year, you've busted out the flip flops, you're relaxed. Maybe you haven't yet started your summer job. So it's like the greatest day of the year. And of course, like every day, it is the most disappointing day of the year because you basically spend like the two to three months that your team's been eliminated for the pl from the playoffs for fantasizing about how this team is going to get better, drooling over the list of UFAs, that's unrestricted free agents, and being like, um, you know, basically picking out like five of the top 10 names and saying, okay, we're going to go after one or two of these guys. And of course, there's 32 teams in the league. Uh, and Ottawa is never a major spending team. And so you always build up these impossible expectations only to have them fizzle out. So it's inevitable disappointment. Your mind always goes to the top five. Then you think, let's be realistic. Maybe we'll get to one of the 10 or 20 options. And instead, what you end up with, which is what Ottawa got from this free agency period, um, was essentially two third pairing defensemen and trading away a scoring winger. And you kind of get to the end of it and you think, well, I have wasted my day. But nonetheless, it was so exciting. How was your free agency day, Christian? Um, I kind of got to sit back with my popcorn and kind of just watch the show. Um, because Detroit is going to be unbelievably terrible uh, for the next <laughs> couple of years. So we signed, you know, Sam Gagne and we signed some like, you know, we got yep. stall back and we're kind of just filling the roster, you know, making sure we have enough skaters. Um, yeah, like physically, literally, like literally just making sure we actually don't forfeit a game. Um, and because we know that there's no reason to keep any of these guys around for more than a year or two, because we're going to be terrible. Yeah. Um, so, so but yeah, you know, I got to just, I just got to sit back and just like watch the sparks fly knowing that I was like, it <laughs> doesn't matter. Oh, that eight year contract. Yeah. We might be relevant by then. <laughs> I have to say Detroit did 
to me, make one really solid move. I mean, Stevie Y makes a bunch of really solid moves, um, but they picked up Pius Suter, um, who yeah. is a non-tendered RFA. So basically what that means in hockey lingo is that he's young. Um, he's younger than the typical age to become an unrestricted free agent. Um, but the option on his contract was too much uh, for Chicago. So he walked, um, which he's allowed to do, of course. And um, Detroit picked him up. And I think he's fantastic. He could play all three forward positions. I think he could play a scoring line role. And again, the emphasis here is that he's young. I mean, I, I, I mean I'm going to get this wrong, but I'm pretty sure he's 25 years old. And so if you add, you know, say you were joking about an eight-year contract, I mean, when he's like 32, 33, Detroit could be very competitive and he could be holding down a third or fourth line role as a depth piece. Um, and uh, and so I thought that was a pretty good low risk uh, kind of high reward move. But I agree. It is totally different to watch the trade deadline as a competitive team um, or sorry, as a non-competitive team, as opposed to being, a, you know, Stanley Cup contender playoff team where you're just looking for that one last piece. Now, I'll tell you, there's one team that I was not expecting to see themselves as being in a position of needing that one last piece. Um, one team that I thought was absolutely not in the market for a big name free agent. And that was the lowly, non-playoff, pretty shit New Jersey Devils, um, who made absolute waves by bringing probably the single biggest free agent on the NHL market this year, other than maybe Gabe Landeskog, who... Kitchener Rangers, who re-signed. Uh, Kitchener Rangers! And listeners, I, I should probably shout out Christian here for buying me a Gabriel Landeskog jersey. as a wonderful present. Basically, the last time we saw each other um, two years ago. Um, so that, uh, you know, I, at least I at least we didn't have to buy another jersey after this free agency. But Dougie Hamilton going to the New Jersey Devils on mega money, Christian, Mega money. I mean, this is silly, silly money for silly, silly term. He is going to be an old retired man by the time that contract is done. Seven years from now and $63 million later when he's 35 years old, during which time are the New Jersey Devils going to win a Stanley Cup within the next seven years, Christian? I, I mean, I'm, I don't know. But I'd at least put a solid 20 bucks that they're not. And I certainly wouldn't be betting $63 million that they would. Um, Tucky Hamilton to New Jersey. Christian, what do you think about this? Yeah, I'm pretty much in agreement with you, I think, here. It was an odd signing to me. The only thing that I can think about is, I mean, you have to start somewhere, I guess. Fair. fair. Right. And that if with they you think... So far. If, if they think that they need a foundational piece from which to build, then, I mean, like you said, I mean, Dougie Hamilton was arguably the best player available, right? That we think about. Yeah, that I'd was say so, yeah. Um, that maybe, that. maybe like you said, like Landis Gog aside, like some that returned to their teams that were free agents, but he's arguably the best player that changed teams. Um, yes, agree. In this agreed, in, in yes. this entire free agency period, and so you have to start somewhere, right? Like if you think, oh, the you know the New Jersey Devils got Ducky Hamilton, you're like, woof, their defense got a lot better and did for the next little while. I think when it comes down to it, the reason why the signing doesn't make sense is because of the term and the yeah. money that is committed yeah. to it. When, like you said, they're likely not going to be good for a couple of years, um, and so. It's one of those, you know, are you paying 
more, you're not going to get, well, so that's what, seven years, 63, so nine a year. You're, you're, you're not getting $9 million worth of Dougie Hamilton for all of those seven years. You're maybe yeah, getting totally, it for three or four. Totally agreed. And I think that's very well said. And at a certain point, let's say five years down the road, you will still be paying Dougie Hamilton $9 million to be not the best defenseman on your team anymore. And you're somehow going to have to pay at that point non-entry-level deals, grown-up big boy dollars to Jack Hughes, Luke Hughes, Nico Hischier, uh, Alexander Holtz, um, maybe even Pavel Zaka or Chase Stillman, Graham Clark, Dawson Mercer, all of these other first round Mackenzie Hughes to squeeze in Mackenzie Hughes Ty Smith I mean good gracious this is this is a team of uh skill um you know this is a team with a lot of big pieces um and you're gonna have to pay them all you know and this is the situation that Ottawa has found itself in um but we were not currently that bogged down by a lot of bad contracts and we're still having a tough time trying to fit in all those contracts look at the Leafs right now so just intentionally bogging yourself down with that kind of money um just seems pretty crazy to me Christian are there any deals from the day that stand out to you one way or the other either good or bad that you thought were maybe a a, a good shrewd move a good value pickup um or any uh, kind of swing for the fences moves that you don't think should have happened i have one of each um but i'll start with the one that i kind of scratched my head at and that was the seattle kraken signing philip grubauer yes oh my god i totally agree because they gave him a six-year contract for a goalie which is impressive Mm -hmm. but like Mm -hmm. i thought they drafted chris drieger to be the goalie yes so my question is then you basically now have two starting goalies again. So which one are you going to commit to? And are they basically going to be in a, like, is Chris Drieger going back to the Florida Panthers scenario that he was just in? Where is it? Well, is it Bobrovsky or is it Drieger? And now it's just him and Grubauer. And I'm like, it, that seemed like a puzzling one to me for, to give him a six year deal for that long after yeah. kind of making Drieger, they're kind of like, yeah, we picked Drieger. Here's our, like here's our cornerstone, um, yeah. kind of. And like, you had a serviceable pick. backup with Vanacek before trading him. Yeah. Um, I mean, hell, Decord started games for Ottawa last year. He's a backup. I mean, you don't need two starting caliber goaltenders both, lo- <coughs> excuse me, locked up to long deals. That just doesn't make sense to me. But they're also, I mean, especially it's one thing if there were no goalies available. But I mean, mm. there was a goalie carousel. Yes. Like well so. Said, yeah. I mean. Um, Halak to the Canucks, Anderson to the Hurricanes, Martin Jones to the Flyers, Holtby to the Stars. I made a list. Mrazek to the uh, Maple Leafs, um, Jonathan Bernier to the Devils, um, just I to name the a few. Pickup, by the way. But I'm, yeah, I'm totally with you. There were like, so many of, other options. Yeah. And all of those guys are signing one, two, three-year deals to go somewhere. So you know what I mean? So you're telling me that... I, I can't remember the specifics of Grubauer's deal, but it was six years for something like maybe four to five million per year. But you're telling me that you couldn't get like I think the Leafs signed Mrazek for like two years at like four point five a year. It's like so you didn't want to do something like I don't know the, the length and the money just didn't seem to make sense for me. Uh, knowing that Drieger is already there. Now again, we are not NHL GMs. 
So I don't sit here to question Ron Francis by any means, but I mean, I don't know. That one puzzled me a little bit. Yeah, I agree. And when, when are NHL general managers going to learn that just free agent goaltenders don't work out ever the way that you want them to? I'm really sorry. And I don't want to make too many ridiculous generalizations, but look at every Stanley cup winner from <coughs> like the Rick past years. <coughs> yeah. 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 I mean, you know, like look at Sergei Bobrovsky, right? I mean, classic example, you know, at his peak, people questioned the money, thought it was silly money, but thought, okay, well, at least he'll be a serviceable starter. And in a blink of an eye, a good goaltender cannot be a serviceable starter anymore. Matt Murray, another example uh, for Ottawa, you know, picked up that one was by trade, but it was a sign in trade. So kind of like free agency. Look at the goaltenders who have won cups with their teams. Marc-Andre Fleury, drafted. Uh, Andre Vasilevsky, he got two, drafted. Uh, Corey Crawford, Chicago, drafted. Um, hell, how far back do we want to go? Martin Brodeur, drafted. Um, you know, every, uh, you, you know, when you look at other cornerstones, Jonathan Quick, drafted. Carey Price, drafted. I mean, I like Henrik Lundqvist, drafted. We could just keep going down this list, but you don't find, like, you, you know, if a team is letting a good goaltender walk, they're letting him walk for a reason, and it's not that he's a franchise cornerstone. You do not let a cup-winning uh, goalie walk, especially if you're the Colorado Avalanche and you have other good options in net. Um, and so especially for Seattle, with how many goalies they had to draft from, too, it's just a wild misspend of money in, in my mind. Um, would I rather have Grubauer than Drieger? One for one? Yeah, sure, but that's not an option. That's not the option that's on the table. Um, and instead, they decided to commit silly money uh, to the crease for a long period of time. So hopefully one of them will work out, though. I mean, you know, at least they won't be lacking in net, but it just seems like a bad call. What about a good move, Christian, or a shrewd move in your view? I won't necessarily call it a shrewd move because shrewd move because there was a lot of money spent. But I was actually really impressed with the Edmonton Oilers. Mm. They actually added quite a few pieces that actually made me kind of go, huh, they might actually have something this time around. Um, the big thing with, I feel, with Edmonton has always been defense, right? Mm. They've, I mean, clearly, Mc, uh, McDavid, uh, Dreisaitl, like Nugent Hopkins, like they've clearly had the firepower. It's just always, I feel like, been the back end. Like, McDavid can't score seven in a game. They always lose 6-5, you know. Um, and they added Tyson Berry on defense, which I thought was really good. They added Cody Cece on defense. I know near and dear to your heart there, uh, Christopher, <laughs> um, which was a good one. And then they also add, added Zach Hyman. Um, to uh, what I thought was a relatively team-friendly contract for a seven-year deal. Yeah, I thought that was a really nice pickup. And then um, even um, Warren uh, Fogel, Fogley and uh, Derek Ryan. Yeah. Um, in that in that bottom six, um, those are those are decent pieces. Um, you know, they picked up Kulikov at the end of the year last year uh, before losing him, so they kind of needed needed to replace that spot on the blue line. And I thought. Um, you know, CC for as much as we make fun of him, he is his underlying numbers were fairly decent last year, um, and uh, you know he was trusted in Ottawa. So I, I think he can, I think he can rebound. I think re-signing Tyson Berry to to be that power play anchor keeps that familiarity. Um, and I was really happy they didn't let him walk, and they were able to 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 win him back on the on the free agent market. Um, and then Zach Hyman is just what this team needs. I mean, he was the um, he was the motor 
um, for yeah, the he's the engine. Yeah, of of Toronto, and I think if they can bring that to McDavid and Drysaddle, that'll be fantastic. I still worry about the crease in Edmonton, and I'm yeah. worried that they didn't address that. But I agree that the the signings they did make solid. Big fan of. Do they want Philip Grubauer? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, exactly right. Oh, don't get me started. It just it just doesn't make any sense. I um I also had a few ones that um that looked good to me and a few that that question that I questioned. I thought um two value signings that I really liked. Uh Corey Perry with Tampa, uh one million dollars uh, a year for two years. He's going for his cup. It's what he wants. And uh for Tampa, I mean that's more wizardry to get a player um of uh, like Perry, who to me turned from this quintessential goal scoring power forward into a physical um, hard hitting, essentially defensive player with intelligence um, that he's undergone that transformation really well. And to see him play uh, this, this past year was really a treat. And I think he's going to be fantastic as a depth piece in Tampa. And again, for that money, I mean, ridiculous for that money. The other one was Nick Foligno, only 3.8 million. I mean, for less than mm, four, he was on my list too. For half of Philip Grubauer, I mean, you got a long-time NHL captain, someone who in a pinch can play second-line minutes, maybe not on the power play too, too much, um, but he can penalty kill. You'll trust him on the ice, you know, in the dying moments of a playoff game. For a team like Boston, whose Stanley Cup window just never seems to close, um, you know, is a really, really solid pickup. Um, And then, you know, for as much as I made fun of Ottawa at the start of this, I have to say... You know, what constitutes like I have a a trade here under my least favorite move because I think it's really one sided. But of course, every bad trade is a good trade for another team. So if I'm talking about my favorite trade, you know, what constitutes a good trade to me is one where both teams win, you know, or where there's a success on both sides. And I thought the Evgeny Dadanov to Vegas for Nick Holden and a third round pick was just genius and really well done by Ottawa, but fantastic for Vegas too. Um, Dadanov was sold low. He is going to produce better next year than he did this, uh, this past year. No question. And on a team like Vegas, he has a chance to do that with a really top notch power play right from day one. Um, so I think he's going to be successful. I think everybody loved Dadnov while he was here in terms of his personality, but he just couldn't put it together on the ice. And Ottawa had committed $20 million to him um, over the length of his contract. And it just didn't fit with our timeline. You know, he was a placeholder um, and he was designed, to, or he was signed to be a placeholder until the prospects came in. And it just wasn't, um, it wasn't a good fit for him. So for him to move on and move to another team, Ottawa sheds that salary, um, which is just just bogs them down um, and somehow miraculously gets a pretty solid defensive defender, um, a veteran and a third round pick out of what was basically a salary dump. And keep in mind, Christian, for the first time in like my entire life of following this game, Uh, I saw trades to Arizona, two of them that literally had no return. You know, yeah. Can we talk about how bonkers that is? Yeah, it's so messed up. I've never seen that before. It's you know just a salary dump, um, and that this was a salary dump for Ottawa, and they got something out of it. So to me, that was one of my favorite moves. But yeah, let's just since we're talking about it, what did you think of those uh, the Arizona moves? So just um, for for our listeners at home, typically when there's a salary dump. What happens is that uh, one team will trade a fairly good player, but with a really cumbersome salary um, in exchange for essentially a very little uh, um, 
response, very little, God, I can't, can't, can't think of my English words today, but the, um, the value coming back to them on the other side will usually be something low, like a seventh round pick or a low level prospect, minor leaguer. And this year, um, for the first time airs that I've seen, Arizona made a couple of trades where there was no return on the other side. So they, Arizona, um, acquired from Philadelphia, Shane Gost, Shane Gostas bear, as well as a second round pick and a seventh round pick for nothing. So those picks were the payment to receive an NHL caliber pick um, like Shane Gostisbehere. And five days before that, they did the exact same thing with the Islanders, taking on Andrew Ladd and his huge salary, as well as a second round pick and two additional um, conditional picks. So, you know, they, they had this, uh, incredible, um, these two incredible trades. And so, um, you look at this, uh, this Dadanov trade and it, and it looks really good. What did you think of those Arizona trades when you first saw them? Well, to be honest with you, I didn't realize that was legal. Yeah, me too. So I was like, what? normally what we see in those scenarios is something like you mentioned. So it would be like Andrew Ladd and a second round pick and then in exchange for a seventh round pick, right? right like you exactly. see, like, because yeah. like essentially everyone knows they're trading back nothing, but there's still something. Yeah. And so, and I didn't realize that you were literally allowed to just not take anything. So it would be like, hey, please take this player and their salary off my hands. In order to do so, I will give you two draft picks and you don't have to pay me anything. Um. I I honestly didn't think it was legal, frankly. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that being said, if you're a team that has the ability to do that, well, obviously we know Arizona is terrible right now. And it, so basically they, they have to spend money, right? Like every team has to spend a certain amount of money to be maintain the competitive balance in the NHL. So you might as well do it and gain draft capital um, because realistically, most draft picks in general are basically just lottery tickets, right? We're all just, we just pile up as many lottery tickets as you can and exactly. someone's going to, some, eventually you're going to hit a, a jackpot or at least come out on, you know, come out even. So, um, so to be able to do that, you know, I mean, I mean, Andrew Ladd's no slouch, obviously, but uh his um his contract's clearly not worth it but i mean if they can afford to pay him while realistically nothing's happening in arizona while those young kids and the draft picks develop um i mean i think it's genius from the arizona um standpoint that they're in a shitty enough position right now that they're just like all right we're gonna fleece people we're gonna give yeah. you nothing yeah and absolutely. they're like oh okay it, um, I thought, I mean, from, from that perspective, I thought it was actually pretty genius. I mean, if you, the thing is like, if you have the salary cap space, you should spend it in, even if that's just getting you picks, you know, if yeah. you're not spending it really, the only reason not to spend it would be if your owner can't afford it and needs to allocate those funds to a later year. But if they have the financial capacity to spend to the cap every year, you should take as advantage of as much of that as possible. Now, unfortunately, some teams did that in the opposite direction. Um, and so I'm going to have to talk about my least favorite moves um, from uh, from this free agency period. To me, one of the biggest is a player who I actually kind of like, Mikhail Granlund. Um, you know, hard worker, decent second line center, you know, maybe second power play unit on a good team. He's going to drop down to the third line, but, you know, very serviceable. And he got 20 
million dollars over yeah. four years. I mean, that's it's silly money. You know, again, when we're talking about the kind of numbers here, Nick Felino for three point eight, Corey Perry for one mil. I mean, that's 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 too much money. I mean, there's no other way to say it. It's too much money. Um, so to me, that one stood out as a bit uh, of an overpay. Um, did not make a lot of sense to me. Um, the uh, next one that I didn't really like too much was this uh, what Toronto's done with the goaltending situation. Basically, Jack Campbell has had a fairly good year. And as we've talked about with goaltenders, they can be up and down year to year. So yeah, hold on to Campbell. You know, why not? Let's, uh, you know, ride ride the lightning and see if he can be a 1B or maybe, maybe even a 1A this year. But are you going to, when you're the Toronto Maple Leafs and literally every single aspect of your being right now is focused on capitalizing on the Stanley Cup window, um, the goodwill that you've established with your fans during this rebuild, you keep shattering it every time you get to the playoffs, um, especially when you have bad goaltending and your entire fan base is like, we need a better goaltender. And so you drop Freddie Anderson and bring in Peter Mrazek. I mean, that's really how you're going to win a cup. I mean, Peter Mrazek is like a middling goaltender. I think a lot of people even question whether he can be a starter in this league. Jack Campbell, sure, you ride him as your starter. But, I mean, is he's not a definitive starter. He's never been a starter for a full season in his entire life. And that's who you're putting Uh, that's whose basket you're putting your eggs in. So to me, the Mrazek-Campbell tandem, I don't look at that and see Stanley Cup winner. Um, And I especially don't see it any more than Anderson and Campbell together. Um, So to me, that was just, you know, not what Toronto needed right now. And the last to me is the Seth Jones trade. Um, Mm. You know, arguably one of the biggest blockbusters of the whole period. So around draft day, Seth Jones traded to Chicago, um, for a large package that included as its primary piece, the prospect Adam Boquist, um, who is largely a power play quarterback, former London Knight, actually, unfortunately. Um, and to me, um, you know, Seth Jones, so they locked him up to, uh, God, I don't have it in front of me here. I think it was a nine year deal. Wasn't it Christian? Yeah, it was something, something like that. the term was huge. Yeah, basically a decade. Um, and again, same thing with the Dougie Hamilton thing, except Seth Jones is not as good as Dougie Hamilton. Um, so basically everything we said, yeah, it was, so it was eight years, nine and a half mil per year for a $76 million total contract That's for huge a AAV. non-playoff yeah. team, a non-playoff team. Um, and uh, they're rebuilding and you give up one of your best prospects uh, in the prospect uh, in the process. Uh, great trade for I- Columbus. Yeah, I know. Great trade for Columbus. Yeah, I should have put it into my favorite moves. Just depends on what team you're looking at. So those were a few that stood out to me as uh, as not so great. Um, but overall, I'd have to say a pretty fun day, wouldn't you say, Christian? I would, yeah. Um, just a couple more, if I may. Um, yeah. I thought a low-key Zach Bogosian um, back to the Tampa Bay Lightning um, was yeah. a really good one. And they got him for dirt cheap. I say dirt cheap. It was like under 2 million. Like it was like something like that. He was uh, this big cornerstone, you know, up there with the, you know, the big guns, you know, kind of thing. You almost a few years ago, we were expecting him to sign, you know, the Dougie Hamilton type deals. And now here he is, you know, coming back on almost what seems like a veteran's minimum to Tampa Bay. Again, the rich get richer, Uh, you know, that now they have Zach Bogosian just to, yeah, team he played for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was curious, um, Mike Hoffman to Montreal was a curious one to Mm, me. mm, Um, mm. The reason I say that is because, not because I don't like Mike Hoffman, I think he's a good player, 
I just don't really understand. I don't know what Montreal's going to be coming mm-hmm. up. You know what I mean? Like, yes, I know they made the cup final, but everyone knows that was incredibly unexpected. Um, yeah. They were, I mean, realistically, if you just look at them from uh, stats and a overall percentage type team, they were a fringe playoff team at best. So, you know, committing that amount of money to Mike Hoffman seemed like a little bit, it almost seemed like they lost Philip Deneau. And so they were like, oh, we need something. Um, yeah, and then absolutely. they kind of just and, went to it. And Hoffman is, is I mean, he's nothing to, uh, to what Deneau is. I mean, Hoffman right. does one thing decently well, and that's he can get some power play goals. Yeah, he's a power he's play not, guy. Yeah, when he's not covered very well on on really either wing. I mean, that is one of his versatilities, but especially the right. And I just think, I mean, fine, you know, like like you want a guy for your power play. Sure. Four and a half million dollars a year, three years, 31 years old, does not fit the ethos of a defense first, hardworking physical team. That's the thing. It's the defense. He's like he's a defensive liability. But I mean, yeah, absolutely. And Deneau is one of the best defensive forwards in the game. So. Uh, just not a like for like replacement at all. And I totally agree with you. Not a sharp move. The other one that's I kind of like kind of scratched my head a little bit. It was Brandon Saad to St. Mm-hmm. Louis. Uh, now, I believe his deal was something like five years, 22 million. So looking a little bit over four million a year. I don't know. It's just one of those ones that when you look at the name, I mean, Brandon Saad again a few years ago, you know, when he did his Columbus and Chicago moves was mm-hmm. a, such a well-sought-after, like, awesome second-line guy. Like, basically, in Chicago, he kind of just, you know, he sat behind Taves and Kane, but was basically just, like, you know, the unsung hero of a couple of their uh, playoff runs. Uh, but now it's kind of just like, okay, but, like, what is St. Louis? Um, yeah. You know, I just, I don't know. I, it's it's I a totally curious one to me. Let me uh, let me rattle off um, his uh, his stats and his points per game over the last uh, uh, four seasons here. So Chicago in 2017, 2018 played a full 82 game season. He had 35 points. That's it. Next year, um, bit of a bounce back. 80 games. He had half a point per game. 45 points. Next season, 33 points. Last season, 24 points in 44 games for, again, about a half a point per game. I mean, he's a 40-point player. It's what he is. He's 31 years old and a 40-point player, and they paid over $4 million a year and committed to heavy term. Um, I'm with you, Christian. Totally with you. Uh, silly money. And that's – and like so compare that. You said just over $4 million. And so, you know, just over $4 million. But again, we just talked earlier about Zach Hyman. Seven years, thirty-eight million. So he's getting five point two five million, right? And right. you're paying Brandon Saad four point two five. Now you're like, oh, well, millions a lot of dollars, but I mean, not in this, yeah, not in this, yeah. yeah. You know, not in this. <clears throat> um, and yeah, I don't know. It was just, it was surprising to me to 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 see that one, um, kind of kind of go down because I mean, again, if you're telling me that. Uh, even I'll make it up. Let's say that Brandon saw they're like, oh, he signs with St. Louis on a two-year deal worth $10 million. And I'm like, ooh, $5 million a year is a lot for Brandon Saad at this point. But two years. Okay. Yeah, the right, term is what saves you. It's, there, it's yeah. the term, right, that that uh, that saves you because then realistically, you, you realistically at that point have him for a year and you're probably flipping him at the deadline the next year, right? Like right. it's – whereas when, you, when teams burden themselves into these contracts – like, 
Dougie Hamilton is not getting traded. Seth Jones is not not getting traded again. Um, Like these guys are, you know, aren't getting traded because no one's going to take that gargantuan contract. It's why Seattle didn't take Price, Tarasenko, Landeskog. Like it's why those guys, right? Because like no one's committing that amount of money anymore to to that type of of player. It's so true. And how funny is it? You know, like NHL GMs have the shortest memory. Like they have the memory of an absolute goldfish. Isn't it so funny that like several days before free agency, teams are literally giving away NHL captains with draft picks in exchange for taking their salary. Like, please get rid of these massive contracts that we don't know what to do with. And then like five days later, they're like, oh, I've never seen a free agent before in my entire life. Money for you. Money for you. I mean, I think these teams are just banking on Arizona being there in five years when they have to give Dougie Hamilton away with a second round draft pick in exchange for nothing. It's just it's insane. But I think that what it comes down to, and this is probably not only a societal thing, but I think it's probably a sports management ownership GM thing. It's just like every GM thinks they're the smart one, though. Right. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Like everyone thinks that they're the one they're like, no, I know better or like I've got the inside information or or whatever it happens to be that they think that they're going to, you know, land the big fish, as it were. So um, I don't know, a couple of couple of question ones, a couple of good ones. But uh, why do you say we take it to take a quick break here and then we come on back and talk some baseball? I love it. Hi, I'm sound designer and composer Michael Spicer, and I want to help you with the audio in your podcast. Do you need theme music or background music in a specific genre? We've got 8-Bit. Orchestral. Or just chill. Visit michaelspicermusic.com and contact me. All my social media stuff's there too, so you know, whatever you want. Goodbye. Welcome back to the Dad Joke Loading Podcast and a special bonus episode. Um, we love bonus episodes, Christian, don't we? It's they're, just the, a, they're on they're uh, hands down the best type of episode. Absolutely. Just throw bonus into anything and it feels better, especially in basketball. Um, but we're going to talk about a different sport, but something that excites us equally. And that was the MLB trade deadline. So very different from free agency. Of course, this is happening during the season. And this is not uh, unattached players being signed for um, large contracts. So we won't we won't get into stupid money at all or silly money. There's no overspending in money going on here, but there can be some overspending, of course, in prospects or prospect capital, depending on um, uh, your school of thought. So, um, Christian, one of the things that jumped out to me, of course, and I think is one of the biggest stories of this baseball uh, trade deadline um, was the former uh, World Series contender Chicago Cubs selling essentially their entire roster uh, as it became increasingly clear that this team was going 
nowhere. Um, of all the players that the Cubs moved that day, um, are there any that stand out to you as particularly surprising? I was actually surprised they traded Anthony Rizzo. I'm not going to mm. lie to you. Like it, I get it, but I figured, I figured Chris Bryant was gone. I figured Kimbrell was gone. I figured Baez was gone. But I was kind of surprised that they traded Rizzo, um, only because like I felt like they had to keep a face around. Mm. Mm. And I figured Rizzo was the guy, and I figured Rizzo's game, as it aged, you know, kind of the slugging first baseman, was going to be able to age better than Chris Bryant. Um, I think Chris Bryant was also playing much poorer, so, but, uh, you know, Chris Bryant, you know, his defense at third base and in the outfield wasn't going to age well, um, or what have you, whereas if they were going to hang on to one of them... I thought it was going to be Rizzo. I'm just surprised that all four of them went. Yeah. But the more I think about it, I'm not exactly maybe terribly surprised. But I mean, I am surprised that all four of them went. Um, And Rizzo, I think, is the most surprising of them. You do think you do think that a team will keep some of that um, old guard in place. I mean, I look at a team like Toronto, um, you know, after those kind of incredible 2015, 2016 seasons when they were starting to tear things down and keeping Stroman and Sanchez around for such a long time. I mean, they were kind of the glue from the past uh, era to the new era. And so I agree with you, you know, so just just to summarize, the Cubs uh, first lost Ryan Tepera. So they uh, he went former Blue Jay, I believe, actually. Yes. Um, so he went uh, he went across city to the White Sox. So taking a big relief arm off the market. Then the Cubs traded Anthony Rizzo for a spaceman to the Yankees the Yankees um, in exchange for a pair of prospects. Um, Then they kept going. They traded my fantasy starter, Craig Kimbrell, uh, who I have as my closer in fantasy right now. Um, They traded him also across the city, another reliever across the city uh, to the White Sox in exchange for another player on my fantasy roster, which is Nick Madrigal. And then um, after that, they went with Javi Baez. They sent him over to the New York Mets um, for a prospect. Then they traded Jake Marisnik uh, to the Padres in exchange for Espinosa. And then finally, they traded Chris Bryant in exchange for Caleb Killian and Alexander Canario. So they lost a whole hell of a lot of their starting uh, roster um, in exchange for a lot of future pieces, um, but clearly saying that this era of the Cubs is over. Yeah, and I think the so, interesting part about that is when you are obviously doing this, right, the question then becomes not only necessarily for the rest of this season, but then, and not being a Cubs fan, but I mean, then what does it really look like for the next, well, let's be honest, three to five years probably, hmm. right? Whereas with... And not that like Rizzo was going to stay there for his whole career, but just as the example, because I thought he was the one they were going to keep potentially if there was going to be an emotional tug at the heartstrings, you know, to keep one of them. Um, if there's no familiar faces there at some point, then then what happens, right? What do you do? Like now all of a sudden is like, is it Kyle Hendricks? That's like the longest tenured cub or something like that. Like what, (laughs) you know, what, uh, what, what, what ends up happening to a team like that? You know, I do worry about it a little bit, 
um, just from a general baseball fan, right? Like you don't want a team to like descend into irrelevancy, you know, and yeah. just become like the Arizona Diamondbacks or something like that. You Especially know, where... not. And I mean, I hate and no disrespect to the Diamondbacks, but you also hope for not the Cubs either. You know, I mean, I know they exercised a lot of those demons when they won the World Series, of course. But to me, they're still one of those franchises that you like to see be successful and that that warms everybody's heart. And we're going to be stuck here again, seeing them lose. I mean, it's one thing to be the Marlins or the D-backs, which I mean, the Marlins, especially, right? Just a, just historically a, a laughing stock for a long time. Um, and D-backs, obviously not, uh, you know, they've had their ups and downs, but definitely not been the model of good uh, ownership management or consistency over the last few years. Um, but then you look at the Cubs and you think they don't deserve, um, they don't deserve all those losing seasons. And it really brings into question um, even a team within their same city, Chicago Blackhawks, you know, when you're going through a rebuild, how much deep losing do you think your fan base can withstand? And when you're rebuilding, how much do you want to lose like 90 games a year versus go whole hog and lose 110 games a year? You know, where's that line of an unacceptable season where you can't charge people money to be in your stadium anymore? And I worry a little bit about the Cubs for the next couple of years, um, whether we're going to see a very clearly 100 loss team um, and uh, you're, you're just going to see a whole city have to suffer through that. But I don't think like tanking in baseball is not nearly as rewarding as it is in other sports. Mm. Right, because of the draft, it's such a different concept. Yeah, it's such a different concept. Whereas like the number one pick in the NFL or ML, uh, excuse me, NFL or NBA drafts, um, and to a lesser extent NHL, um, you know, those are fairly surefire picks, right? Yeah. And um, contributing pretty soon as well. Right. So lottery picks on the other sports, I feel like, are um, extremely valuable. Whereas I feel like in baseball, they're really not. Um, yeah. You know, because just and especially because even a first round pick in the MLB draft is potentially going to be a high school guy, maybe a college freshman or sophomore who's probably not going to be in the minor leagues for a couple of years and might not even be with the big club for four or three, four, five years, depending on yeah. where your team is. And then of course, with the uh, somewhat idiotic rules of how they can control their service time, you know, they might not even come up to the big club for a little bit longer. You know, I don't know. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting there because yeah, what does it benefit? Is there a real benefit to the Cubs? You know, yes, they're not going to win for a little bit. So there's really no point in them keeping those players, but there's also really no point to being an irrelevant 95 loss team either. Not that they're going to go spend just so they can lose 85 instead of 95. That's not what I'm trying to imply, but um, I feel like there's less rebuild. There's less of a quick rebuild that can happen in MLB compared to I me. Mean, look at, I mean, we know the Houston Astros are good now, but I mean, look at how long that took them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Even uh, and look how bad they had to be for how long. I mean, remember you and I looking at the Astros and talking about them being, you know, horrifyingly bad. You know, the Blue Jays did a bit of a soft rebuild, you know, never going down to these massive hundred loss seasons. And it took them. I mean, we're now only just now seeing the rewards of it. So like four or five years um, to, to turn around. And so, yeah, totally well said that the, this Cubs rebuild, it's not a quick turnaround. 
Um, and, and it could be painful for a while. Now, the team that they traded Rizzo to, um, of course, was a team that neither you nor I can stand, nor can most of the world, quite frankly, um, and that is the New York Yankees. Um, so the rich got richer. The New York Yankees have one of the best right-handed lineups in all of baseball, um, but it is very right-handed, um, and it has always been very right-handed uh, throughout the season. And so they picked up two lefty sluggers, Anthony Rizzo, first base, of course, now moving to the American League, now has the additional uh, DH option, um, as well as picking up Joey Gallo from my fantasy team. Oh, sorry, I meant the Texas Rangers um, to get a little bit more outfield depth and another lefty in the lineup. Um, and then just for fun, they added a pitcher, uh, Andrew Heaney, um, from the Angels. And of course, that is not going to hurt. And also a lefty, for that matter. So the again, the rich got richer. And this is a bit near and dear to my heart because the Blue Jays are making a big push for the playoffs. So to see a team like the Yankees get richer, I mean, it just makes your heart sink a bit, doesn't it, Christian? I mean, yeah, it really does. And 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 I'm going to get into the Dodgers in a minute, too, um, speaking of rich getting richer. But, like, yeah, well, it always yeah. just matches to me just, like, how do these guys, like, how do these teams still have prospects to trade? Like, I feel like the Yankees yeah. and Dodgers <laughs> must have emptied the farm system for all of these guys they've got over the years, but they just keep seeming to be able to trade prospects away. But... I will sit here and actually argue with you that I don't think the Yankees got that much better. Okay, okay, go on. Uh, Rizzo is good. Absolutely. I'm not going to argue with you, not only defensively at first base, which was something that they kind of struggled with putting somebody out there who they really felt was going to be beneficial to them. And you're right. He's going to love that, low, that uh, short porch in right. Um, you know, with his left-handed swing, for sure. So I absolutely appreciate that. But, and sure, his fantasy numbers might be really good, but, like, is Joey Gallo really that good? Like, let's, like, I, I, I sit here and say, I feel like that Yankees lineup is a ton of swinger miss. Mm, yeah, I think that's probably fair to say. They are I going mean- to, cr- they are going to crush you 14 to nothing, one out of every six games <laughs> and the other games, they're going to bat like two thirty, yeah. and look rather pedestrian. I mean, Giancarlo Stanton. Is, sorry, go ahead. Joey Gallo is batting like two ten, two thirteen this season, something like that. And I think he's never had a season better than like two forty or something like that in his whole career. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's a very good point. So yeah, he's probably going to hit that seventh inning home run in the, division series that's going to be massive or something like that and like sure people are going to be like oh yeah this is why they got joey gallo and i'm going to sit there and go okay but like you know stanton can murder a baseball he can also strike out five times in a game and i feel like those happen the frequency at which those happen is closer to each other than it should be you know Mm -hmm. and so aaron judge can hit the ball a freaking country mile, but he can also look rather pedestrian. Aaron Judge is probably a little less of an example because he actually can hit for average and can actually decently run the bases because it takes him two strides to get to first because he's like eight <laughs> feet tall. But um, but like, do they really need another guy that will like home run or strike out? I yeah. like I like yeah I get that he's a lefty sure, 
But I was actually kind of surprised that anybody really went for him. To be honest with you, he looked really pedestrian in that home run derby. Yeah, yeah, he did, didn't he? He looked really pedestrian in that home run derby at Coors Field, home run hitters paradise, with a batting practice pitcher that he practiced with, and he looked bad. Yeah, and it's like the one thing he can do. And it like so like exactly like the one thing right. He was like Mark McGuire on The Simpsons, you know. He was like, "Who wants to watch (laughs) me suck dingers?" Like (laughs) that's what Joey Gallo should be doing, and he didn't do it. So like, I mean, I'm probably going to be proven wrong for saying this. So like, I apologize to the rest of the AL when the Yankees go on a tear and Joey Gallo hits like 600 in the playoffs. But like, yeah, he hasn't had a batting average above 250 in like five years and yeah he might mash a bunch of dingers but i was just like i don't know did they really get that much better i don't know well you know when they don't go far in the playoffs we'll also refer back to this and and say that you were right because you are and i totally agree with you so that brings us on to some some more positive uh news which is that the toronto blue jays made quite a few trades quite Um, active Cleveland made only one, I believe, which was losing uh, Eddie Rosario in exchange for Pablo Sandoval, which is just incredible. How is he still playing baseball? He's still in the league. The Panda. I mean, good Lord. First of all, before we get into the Jays, Christian, uh, where do you foresee Sandoval playing? Is he going to play third? Is he going to play first? Is he going to DH? Like where where do you see him fitting into this roster, if at all? I feel like if he fits in, I think it's going to be like uh, Carlos Santana kind of way you know just like the dh maybe plays first base pinch hits you know maybe plays third i think he's just gonna be like a fill-in spot and i think they really traded for him just to make the dugout more fun <laughs> right. um, it's a tough time in cleveland yeah. as we talked about in our last episode yeah you know shitty logo uh questionable name uh tito francona sitting out the rest of the year yeah. Uh, so obviously we hope he gets well, of course. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think I, I, I feel like he's going to be like the Munanori Kawasaki of the Cleveland Guardians. <laughs> oh, um, man. You, you know, just, just warmed my heart, Christian. Like, you know, he's just going to it's just going to be Bush Party, you know, in the dugout like or whatever. Like it's yeah, I I have no idea, but whatever. Well, uh, I think Toronto's going to have a pretty hopping dugout because uh, they've got a bunch of bodies in there. Um, and in, particularly, uh, in particular, they've got a bunch of bodies in the bullpen because they spent Finally. this trade deadline basically acquiring, I think, every reliever that was left unattended. You know, they were essentially like a, just like a predator out there stealing unattended things. I don't know. I couldn't think of anything that wasn't going to make that instantly terribly creepy. Um, but just well, like, when you corner yourself with the word predator. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know where I was going with that. Um, the Blue Jays are snapping up children like Jose Barrios. They went out there with a white van and they just <laughs> took every pitcher that was not nailed to uh, a pitcher's rubber. So they took. Um, Jose Barrios, which is, I mean, absolutely the marquee acquisition of this this trade deadline for them. One of the marquee acquisitions, I think, across baseball, because to get a young top of the rotation starter that's you expect to be with you for several years. I mean, that's not Joey Gallo. That's not Anthony Rizzo. I mean, that's not the type of value that a player like Barrios can provide. He is a playoff starter. 
I mean, he's a top three um, rotation arm for the Jays, um, which I think is kind of one of the big things that they've been missing. Um, when free agency came and went um, this year and they signed Springer and they went for the big bats, you know, and a lot of people were questioning the Jays need arms. Um, all they said, all that Ross Atkins said, that Shapiro said this entire time was wait for the trade deadline. You know, wait for that value to come. We're building this team slowly with each passing uh, free agency period or trade deadline. We're going to get that one piece better and then one piece better and one piece better. And we're going to slowly build this team. Um, and I feel like they're doing that. But what they needed to fix in short order was one of the greatest mysteries in all of professional sports, which is a bullpen that can be really great one year. Uh, can be really great one month and then be absolutely, you know, horrendously bad the next month. And so the Blue Jays added Joaquin Soria, Brad Hand, Adam Simber, and Trevor Richards, all depth pieces within the bullpen, um, all pitchers that they're hoping can get get them out of James jams late in games in the playoffs. Um, and of course, the last piece they added was Corey Dickerson, um, another outfielder, which is surprising to me because we have so much um, outfield depth at the moment. It just that that one didn't make a ton of sense to me, um, but does provide a little bit of injury coverage. And um, the DH is pretty much always going to be coming from the outfield, I believe, in the playoffs. So Corey Dickerson provides a little bit of defensive flexibility. But of those six pieces, Christian, Jose Barrios, Joaquim Soria, Brad, hand Adam Simber, Corey Dickerson and Trevor Richards are there any of those pieces that you really like um uh for the Jays well if we're talking just on a strict talent basis obviously Jose Barrios is 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 a great pickup for them because I mean realistically and I'm sure Blue Jays fans are going to hate on me for a little bit but like other than Ryu who starts for you in a playoff series that you really have yeah. a ton of confidence is now people are going to come out and be like, Oh, well, Robbie Ray's and this and Steven Matz and this and that. And we like, they are good. I have no, no, no quads of this. They are, they are good. Ray, Ray in particular has been good, but yeah, Matz is fine. Sure. Yeah. But they but, have, you know, you know Manoa is young and young and, and promising and, interesting. and sure. Yeah. Um, but if you're telling me that you're going to trot out against the New York Yankees in the ALDS, Ryu, Robbie Ray, and Steven Matz. Yeah. You're I not confident you. about that. And no. so to add Barrios in there, at least from a top two, uh, is very, very uh, crucial to them. Um, and... The one thing I was actually having some uh, kind of, I'll say heated conversation, if I call it passionate conversation with some fellow Jays fans, was what they paid for Jose Barrios. Mm. And so the price was um, Austin Martin. Yeah, huge. As well as, uh, now I'm blanking, Woods Richardson. Yeah, Simeon Woods Richardson, yeah. Simeon Woods, Woods Richardson. I'm not as sold on Woods Richardson. Again, you know. Nice prospect, you know, not uh, an incredible loss. But paying Austin Martin for for him, I, that stung a little bit to me. Um, now, you got to spend money to make money, of course. Um, so you got to do that. But it was, uh, that was a little tough for me. And I, I struggle, and I still kind of struggle to see the price paid yeah, on that one. I, 
I agree with you. I mean, the value is a very difficult piece. I mean, when they're giving up, like, player to be named later for Joaquim Sori and Riley Adams for Brad Hand, you know, as you say, Berrios is the biggest piece here, but they didn't pay much for any of their other pieces. Now, in the end, I, I'm still okay with it because, Christian, you and I have you and I have sat through Brandon Morrow. We've sat through Ricky Romero. We sat through Daniel Norris, JP Aaron Sibio. We've we've sat through prospects, man. Like we've we've sat through them and waited for them not to do well. I've made dumb bets on Ricky Romero. Uh, I've given away way too much money on prospects in my life. And Austin Martin's a huge piece. And if it was one for one, Austin Martin for Jose Barrios, I'd say top of the rotation, young. And I can't emphasize this enough that Barrios is young, and that's a huge component here. Um, but, you know, you give up Martin for Barrios and you say, okay, you know, um, you know, we're giving up one of the best offensive prospects in baseball for a top of the rotation arm. That's probably the cost. But then you add in Simeon Woods Richardson, who's also a top 10 prospect for us, a top five pitching prospect for us. Um, what we got, I, I believe that was the Stroman uh, trade is where is where we got Richardson. And, and you're, you know, so Stroman to Berrios, basically, you know, with additional cost paid along the way. Um, you know, I, I agree. I think the price is, is high. I think it was a bit of an, you know, it's, it's an overpay on the market, you know, but then you also think, okay, if I, you know, say that like there's one specific muffler that like a 72 Camaro needs and somebody's overpricing it at $10,000 and it's only worth 500 bucks. Sure. But if I'm stuck in the desert in my 72 Camaro and a broken muffler, you know, maybe I'll pay it. You know, and for the Blue Jays at this moment, where they are now and what they need now, absolutely, Barrios provides more value to what they need than what Martin would provide, who are still just possibilities. You know, they're still just lottery tickets, as you said earlier. So overall, the price is higher than I think what the market set. But in isolation, you know, I've I've come to digest it over the past few days and say I'm I think I'm willing to pay that cost if Barrios pans out. I mean, fuck, if he's injured and gone next year, then I'm going to cry in my Cheerios. So, you know, as such are the slings and arrows of uh, baseball misfortune. But I think a key part to this trade as well is that he is under they do have him for all of next year as well. Right. So right. I think that that's helpful here. Um, that there is basically the rest of this year and all of next year to get him to stay here longer. So if he signs an extension in Toronto, uh, then the, the Blue Jays win that trade hands down, um, right? If he stays there longer, um, I think that's going to be the key. The reason why I think I'm overall okay with it, the more that I think about it, is the Blue Jays' problem is not offense. Mm. And yeah, if you look absolutely. at their lineup right now, realistically, where is Austin Martin going to play? Yeah. And not at outfield, not at middle infield. Right. Not at outfield and not at middle infield because your outfield is going to likely have, well, it's going to have Springer for the foreseeable future, obviously. It's going to have probably Teoscar Hernandez for the foreseeable future. And your middle infield is going to be, well, your infield is going to be Guerrero, Bichette, probably Biggio. Right? Do you know what I mean? So, like, in that standpoint, so. it's not like they're going to be. Now, I think the problem here is I like to project, and that's my problem. I think that Austin Martin's ceiling 
is higher than Kevin Vigio's. Yeah, absolutely. And you also question like how long will Marcus Semyon stay around for? Could he be a long-term piece? Is this production going to continue? You know, you look at someone like Biggio and you think, okay, if he's going to need to cover third base for Guerrero on those days where we try to get Guerrero DH time, or as Guerrero ages, he may not age gracefully as, you know, um, to be able to play any third base where he'll just stick at first base for the rest of his career. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm, he's no I'm Prince Fielder, but he's also not, uh, you know, yeah, He's not a skinny exactly. man. So, I mean, could Austin Martin have found a place with the Jays? Maybe, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't, wouldn't not say maybe, wouldn't be a definitive no, but Barrios has his place. He has it now, today, for hopeful playoff games. You know, could, will would Martin have ever played a playoff game with the Blue Jays? Totally separate question. So many different pieces need to line up there. And I think what what it comes down to is, and why I think the Blue Jays were incredibly successful is that they they literally went out and addressed their major needs right now. Mm. They basically got five, four relievers and a top rotation all-star starter. Um, can we just talk about for a minute, could you imagine, we should back up and still give the Blue Jays front office some credit. They entered the year with Kirby Yates, <laughs> yeah. David Phelps, uh, Julian Merriweather, like in their bullpen. Yeah. They yeah. had them yeah. ready to go. And, I mean, Merriweather looked like he was going to be unreal. And then he got hurt. And, like, Kirby Yates, I mean, all-star closer. Uh, toast, right? Like, so, I mean, it's almost... If you could imagine that they still had those guys, the embarrassment of riches that they would still have um, is almost leaves, uh, you know, a little bit. Uh, it makes, you know, yeah. it, it hurts it's my it hurts my heart funny. a little bit. Yeah, it hurts it's my heart. Almost a bit. funny. Yeah. Like also Tommy Maloney, A.J. Cole, Anthony Castro. I mean, like, it's just it's it's depressing. It's borderline the depth, depressing. The depth, the depth is there. Or was, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, the, the depth is there. The just none of their arms depth. worked. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like their IL bullpen is pretty good for most teams. Um, and, you know, picking up a player like Jose Barrios also can help the bullpen in two ways. One, if you have a starter who pitches deeper into games, so you, you know, just quite that simple math, you're using less relief innings. Yep. And also you bump a starter into the, into the pen. So, you know, whether it's Ross Stripling or Alec Manoa, or you convert one of them into an opener, you know, pitches a couple of innings to, to open a game. Um, you know, it gives you more flexibility, you know, and, and I think just getting those bodies in there, as you allude to, um, really, really helps with that flexibility, which is what you need in the dog days of summer. Well, I was going to say the dog days of summer and then also getting into the playoffs, right? Like it's just yeah. like where then if you literally have, I'm making it up three or four pitchers in your bullpen that could realistically be starters and go multiple innings. Then you don't necessarily mind putting Ross Stripling in, in the third and watching him go for four innings. If you need him to like, if you had that flexibility and uh, I mean, a fresh bullpen is going to be a successful bullpen. So I'm hoping by just, uh, you know, bringing in the reinforcements, they're going to be, you know, better off all around. Yeah, I agree. Well, on that note, my friend, a very positive note, looking forward to the Blue Jays. When we started this out, we joked that, you know, we could probably talk for an hour about free agency, 
Um, but you know, that's not going to happen. And here we are because we love talking about sports. We love talking to you, the listener. And of course we love talking to each other because Christian, uh, that's him, Chris, that's me. We've been best friends for 10 years and, uh, we're going through this fatherhood thing together, but sports remains our ultimate distraction. Thank you for joining us again this week. Christian, before we head out of here, do you have any closing thoughts? Um, you know what? I do have some clothing, uh, some clothing, clothing thoughts. No, I have closing thoughts. Clothing thoughts. Do you think I should wear this scarf? What do you, I think it brings out your eyes. Oh, thanks. Um, I do have one closing thought and, uh, for listeners who may not know, actually my wedding anniversary is coming up tomorrow and for my, uh, for an anniversary present for my wife. I took my wife to an orchard and we walked around for about a half hour and she was really upset. I guess it wasn't the Apple watch she wanted. (laughs) You had me going for so much of that. I was like, what, where's, where's he going with this? Oh, that was, but um, that was amazing. Well, Christian on that beautiful note, thank you for joining us this week. Hit us up dad joke loading podcast at gmail.com on instagram uh at dad joke loading podcast uh or on twitter at loading dad um you can hit us up at any of those locations and we would love to chat with you um so please hit us up Uh, beyond that we're gonna chat with you again next week thanks for joining us on this special bonus episode of the dad joke loading podcast i'm chris he's christian we'll talk to you again later see you later